Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 16th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me on today's show are weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. All right, guys, so let's jump right into the news today. Uh, HT, why don't you tell us about what Amazon is uh, intending to do, their latest play for uh, theatrical dominance? So Amazon is vying with other competitors to acquire Landmark Theaters, which is the independent movie-focused theater chain, which has more than 50 locations across the country. Uh, So this would allow Amazon to basically get footing into the brick-and-mortar industry in Hollywood after it has expanded its uh, original content game with Amazon Studios through TV and movies. Um, And this is actually possible because of a recent um, Department of Justice uh, announcement that it plans to review the antitrust rules that bar studios from owning theaters for the past 70 years. So this this rule may actually uh, no longer be uh, in play uh, once Amazon or whoever does acquire Landmark Theaters is able to uh, make this purchase. Okay, so this is, Amazon is not the only streaming service that is interested in, you know, sort of uh, buying up theater change. Netflix has, is also wanting to purchase and, and own their own theaters as well. Um, so Peter Serretta, even though he's not able to join us today, was, was sort of theorizing that we might be entering like a war of these streaming services as they attempt to go physical. And, and um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how Netflix doesn't tend to give their movies a theatrical release, uh, at least not their original films and not that often, whereas Amazon, on the other hand, is, is very much um, sort of aligned with the theatrical distribution method, and then their content goes to the Amazon streaming service. So it's sort of a, a difference of business styles there. I'm wondering, what do you guys think about Amazon potentially buying their own theater chain? Because like HT said, I mean, this used to be standard practice in Hollywood before the government outlawed it, but now with this government, uh, you know, all bets are off. So what do you guys think about this? Uh, Chris? I don't know. It seems like it's like a step back because, I mean, it just seems like they're spe- they'd are they be spending even more money to 
have these like theatrical physical releases whereas i always assumed it was like more cost effective to go you know to streaming so i i don't know it to me it seems like a step back but i'm also you know that that guy who just is sick of movie theaters and i want everything to just come right to my house so i don't i, I might be impartial or i might not be <laughs> impartial here okay what about you brad what do you think um i mean i i think it has a potential to be kind of cool it's um I can understand why Netflix and Amazon are probably interested in doing it because I can't imagine dealing with the theater uh, exhibitors who are already frustrated with how they're changing up the distribution game um, are, are to deal with when it comes to getting their movies a limited theatrical release in order to qualify for awards. And if they own their own theaters, then they have a place where they can put those movies so that they don't have to worry about striking deals with any of these exhibitors in order to do that. Um, and personally, like... What I like the idea of is that this might open up the opportunity for some of Amazon and Netflix's, um, you know, properties to be able to be screened in the theater more uh, easily and more more readily. And uh, one of the things I talked about this this was a while back when there were um, uh, there was some stuff going on about Netflix as far as like qualifying for Oscars and all that stuff. And I I thought that they should get into the business of buying movie theaters and, you know, kind of outdo what the movie theater chains are doing today, you know, kind of beat them at their own game. Because it would be also be kind of cool if whenever a big show comes around, whether it's the new Marvel series or a new season of Stranger Things, you could have a have it playing theatrically for a bit so that fans could come see, you know, the first couple episodes or even the whole thing in theaters if they wanted to get some of their friends together and go see it. Uh, so I, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, it, you know, it, it kind of remains to be seen necessarily how it would work and how abundant those theaters would be, but I, I'm interested to see how it comes together. Yeah, and while you were talking about that, it just reminded me that I wrote something recently about how Netflix teamed up with, I think it was Sony, uh, a, a television manufacturer, to create this, like, for, I think it's Sony's super high-end TVs. I, I think we talked about this not too long ago on the podcast. Um, there is, like, a Netflix mode, a Netflix-calibrated mode, where people at Netflix actually sat down with the people at Sony and they they basically came to an agreement of like these are the settings that need to be put in place for this content to look exactly the way the um the directors and the the showrunners intended it so if Netflix cares that much uh you know to to go have a meeting like this and, and put something like this in place with a TV manufacturer think about what they might be able to do with their own um uh, movie theater chain like theoretically hopefully you know fingers crossed maybe the they would actually care about the way that you know maybe they would have more incentive to care about the presentation and the things that uh that we all find fault with at a lot of the current major theater um you know chains and stuff that are out there right now um ht what do you think about this whole thing yeah, I'm 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 kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from Chris. I really like the theatrical experience, and I like that the streaming uh, services are kind of making the move to physical and brick and mortar uh, places. Although it's, I just find it really ironic that, for example, Amazon disrupted the book selling industry so much that they had they put out a bunch of bookstores out of out of um, business, and now they have their own bookstores. So it's just it's just really funny to me. Yeah. But I think that. <laughs> Acquiring theaters would actually be a sort of a happy medium because these theaters would still be in business, but they would be under a giant like Amazon, which could, you know, peddle some more, some of its own works, but also, you know, boost independent films um, in these theaters that maybe don't have quite the, the money or the financial situation to like 
get as much reach as Amazon mm-hmm. would. So, I, yeah, I think this is a really interesting and really, um, yeah, really good move for Amazon if they um, are able to win out in the in the bidding war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I I would be interested to see like the return of sort of studio owned theaters because the last time that was about was in uh, the golden age of Hollywood, uh, in which studios had like huge power over all the movies that were being released. So, and I think we're kind of seeing a return to that now, especially with um, Disney and. Uh, yeah, just Disney yeah, <laughs> in yeah. general. So uh, it would be interesting to see this, how the landscape will shape out. Yeah, and I think the reason, or at least part of the reason that the studios owning theaters was broken up in the first place was because, and I think you put this in your article, HD, that um, the studios used to make the theater chains agree to accept an entire slate of their productions without um, having seen them first. And so their, their iron grip was so tight that... Uh, that it became problematic for these studios or for these theater chains, sorry, because they had to agree to seeing things that they, you know, they might not have actually wanted to show in their theaters. And maybe today the theater, you know, the theaters might have a little bit more say in how that whole thing works. I'm sure there are negative aspects to this. And I, I encourage anyone listening, if you're thinking, what are you guys talking about? This is a terrible idea. Please email us and tell us why, because I'm sure there's a whole other angle that I'm just not even thinking of here. Um, you can email us at peter at slashfilm.com. And actually one more thing that Peter mentioned, he said uh, that I wonder if an Amazon Prime membership would become like a movie pass subscription to an Amazon theater chain if something like this were to actually go through. What do you guys think about that? Is that uh, do you guys subscribe to Amazon uh, Amazon Prime right now? And if not, would that be something that would uh, maybe push you over the edge? Um, Brad, I'll start with you. I do have an Amazon Prime subscription. Um, I'm not sure that it would necessarily push me over the edge. It would be a nice bonus to have with it. I. I can't imagine they would probably set anything up similar to a movie pass subscription, but what they might do is, uh, you know, offer discounts here and there, or even, you know, do what they they've been doing, uh, recently, which is offering special advanced screenings for Amazon prime members. Uh, they had one of those for Jumanji welcome to the jungle last year. Uh, and there was another one that happened sometime earlier this year. That was, there was an advanced screening for Amazon members, but I don't remember what it was. Hmm. So I, I, I would imagine they would probably do stuff like that more often. Uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, I have an Amazon Prime account, and I mean, if this gets like wrapped up in that, I mean, that might be a cool thing, but I, uh, I don't really know. I don't know how they're gonna really go about handling this, honestly. Yeah, HC, do you have an account? I use my mom's account. <laughs> and there you go, a true millennial. <laughs> yes, I am really the signature millennial here, but I probably, if it were to come. Uh, equipped with a subscription service like this, I might actually get my own account because uh, I would see the benefit in having like in having access to another chain of theaters, especially independent uh, focused theaters like Landmark, which I have a, a few around me. So it'd be really nice to have that that access. Cool. All right. So our next story involves a <laughs> the beginning of the robot uprising. Chris, tell us what's going on here. Yeah, so uh, Tony Kay, who directed um, American History X and a few other films, uh, wants to make a sequel to a movie called Firstborn, and the sequel will be called, uh, appropriately enough, Secondborn. And uh, here is where things get weird. So Firstborn is not even out yet, first of all, and it's a like indie comedy uh, with 
like Val Kilmer is in it and William Baldwin. And it's about um, a young married couple and uh, they're from different backgrounds. Basically, it's an indie movie. There's nothing uh, genre based about it. However, Tony Kay, who I should add, did not direct First uh, Firstborn, wants to direct the sequel and he wants to cast a robot in the lead role. And from what I can tell, this story has nothing to do with robots. It's not like AI where Stanley Kubrick wanted to have a robot play the robot boy in the film, but couldn't because the technology wasn't there. This, this just seems like uh, Tony K wants to just make a sequel to someone else's movie and cast a robot as the lead character. And I don't, I don't know what to make of this. Part of me thinks this is like a joke, but he seems like he actually wants to do this. So We'll see what happens. Uh, okay, so, I mean, where to even start with this? I, I think um, it's so strange. That, I mean, all around, every aspect of this is strange, going down to the fact that it's a sequel to a movie that he didn't even direct. Like, why? Why this that he wants to do this for? But uh, on the other hand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into Peter's shoes here and play devil's advocate for a second. Uh, a robot actor was going to happen eventually, right? Like, that is a thing that is an inevitability in Hollywood. So I guess Tony Kay may be thinking, like, I'm going to be the one to do this. Um, Brad, what do you make of this situation? Do you think this is the beginning of the end for human actors? Is this a a huge turning point in our society? What what do you make of this? Uh, This just sounds so overwhelming, and I really don't, don't know what to think about it. Uh, it sounds kind of just bonkers crazy. Like, it sounds like the premise for its own movie itself rather than a movie that's actually being made. Um, so, I, I know. I feel like you can never, you're never really going to be able to replace actors because, unless, you know, technology for artificial intelligence gets to that scary point that we all see in movies where people and robots are indistinguishable from each other. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm honestly so perplexed by this that I really can't fathom having you know anything to to say about it until i actually see whether this is something that is a real thing that comes to fruition so ht if we see a trailer for this and you can't tell which actor is the robot what i mean what what do you think about that what do you do you think i mean we're gonna we're gonna get to that point eventually too i don't know if it's gonna be with this movie but um what do you think about this this encroaching inevitability here (sighs) I mean, I I don't know what to think of this story. I think we're being punked, so <laughs> uh, um, I'm I don't think that ro- robot um, technology is that far advanced that you can put an actor in you can replace an actor with a robot. Um, they still look very uncanny and scary, and I don't really understand if this is a story that is real or not. I mean, I get it probably is, or maybe. Tony K believes it is. Is he okay, by the way? Is he, is he doing okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Chris, I think in your piece, didn't you say something in there about how the robot is supposedly going to be trained with acting methods or something? Yeah, I guess I guess the, the, the correct term is programmed. They're going to program it with acting methods, and they even want to try and get the robot uh, SAG recognition, Screen Actors Guild recognition, which I don't think is going to happen because I think... <laughs> SAG will push back against this. And again, every element of the story makes me think it's a very elaborate joke, but I, I really don't know. This is uh, an amazing story. I, I don't know how to uh, 
uh, really even think about this, honestly. I know we have a lot of actors who listen to this show, and I'm very, very curious to see if they're worried about this in any way, or if this is, you know, if they're sort of writing this off as like a, a one-time thing, or, you know, like like HC was saying, the technology is not there yet, so they don't really consider it a threat. I, I would love it if any of the actors who are listening to the show could write in and let us know, because I'm, I'm very curious uh, about how, you know, the temperature of the room out there in Hollywood and what what this might be doing to uh, to people's confidence and and their um you know the idea of job security and all that stuff so uh i i think hopefully we'll be hearing some more about this sometime soon like chris mentioned firstborn is not even out yet so who knows when uh, when we'll hear more about secondborn but i'm i'm definitely curious about this project um okay let's move on to our next topic and that is the unfortunate news that disney is not going to be hiring james gunn back to direct guardians of the galaxy volume 3 brad tell us the latest Yes, uh, unfortunately, late last night, uh, an exclusive story broke from Variety indicating that after a meeting took place between James Gunn himself and Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn, it was determined that Disney would be sticking to uh, their original decision in firing James Gunn as the director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 after uh, a series of tweets made seven to ten years ago were, were resurged on Twitter by right-wing trolls in an effort to fire him and silence his voice about politics uh, in today's minefield of nonsense in Washington, D.C. Um, apparently, the they had a, uh, what was called a quote-unquote civil and professional meeting, but it was also one that was called a quote courtesy meeting, which uh, makes it sound like there was really never any intention of Disney possibly uh, turning around and changing their mind and bringing James Gunn back. Apparently, Kevin Feige couldn't be there in the meeting. He was out of town, I, I would assume, because maybe he's on the set of Spider-Man Far From Home, which is shooting overseas right now. Uh, so he was unable to attend. But he was one of the people that had been pushing for Gunn to be rehired. But at the same time, the trade also says that he stands by uh, Disney's decision and wouldn't be fighting them or, or bad-mouthing them about the decision. Uh, so this is just really upsetting news um for me personally guardians of the galaxy was my favorite franchise in the marvel cinematic universe james gunn brought a unique voice and really like put himself in in this movie and what's particularly upsetting about this is the 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 lessons that you find in guardians of the galaxy and how the characters uh evolve and change over time are just the perfect example of what james gunn has done with his life and the fact that Disney can't see that this is a situation where dishonest people who are falsely clutching their pearls are just trying to stir up trouble for no good reason. Um, they, they can't see that James Gunn has changed from the mistakes that he's made from his past, from the, being this provocateur of blue humor. Um, is just is really disconcerting, and it sets a dangerous precedent for how things are going to to unfold in the future. And uh, um, you know, uh, I, I can't imagine what Disney's going to do when they find out that Tim Allen was arrested for having 650 milligrams of cocaine back in 1978, because I can't imagine they would want him to voice Buzz Lightyear anymore based <laughs> on, you know, how they're treating James Gunn. Yeah, the um, the hypocrisy is pretty astounding there. And I, I think we've talked about this issue pretty much to death. But I'm, I'm curious, Brad, what is the next step here? What, do we know anything about what's going to happen with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 now that we know for sure that Gunn isn't coming back to direct as soon as Kevin Feige comes back into Los Angeles, Disney and Marvel are going to figure out who will take over as director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. There's no indication as to if who they're looking at or anything like that. There has been no confirmation uh, about 
Disney and Marvel still using James Gunn's original script for the movie. Um, even if they do use it, uh, that was just the first draft, and whoever comes in will likely need to polish it and put their own spin on it since it'll be their movie that they're directing. Frankly, I, I'm mostly interested in seeing how the cast reacts to this and what they do. Uh, you know, we had um, Dave Batista had already expressed a desire to be let out of his contract if James Gunn wasn't brought back to direct the sequel. Um, you know, Chris Pratt acknowledged that it was a difficult time for the cast. And so obviously they're all under contract. But, you know, you have to wonder how what that working environment is going to be like when they're making a movie that maybe they're not entirely invested in without having James Gunn around. Right, right. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll keep you guys updated on the latest with that. Uh, let's move to our next story, and that is Paul Walker's family wants more of Paul Walker's character from the Fast and Furious movies to appear in that franchise. Chris, what's going on here? Um, yes. Yeah, so as everyone knows, Paul Walker died before uh, Furious 7 came out. And to finish that film, his two brothers, Caleb and Cody Walker, uh, acted as stand-ins for a bunch of scenes. And, you know, in some cases, they actually, like, digitally placed Paul Walker's face over his brothers to, you know, finish things up. And, uh, you know, at the end of Furious 7, Paul Walker's character, Brian O'Connor, gets, you know, a, a, a touching send-off where... Uh, you know, him and Vin Diesel are driving next to each other and his car goes off in a different direction. And that was sort of like letting that character, you know, literally ride off into the sunset without, you know, having to kill his character off in, in the franchise. And I think we all assumed that was, you know, the last we'd see of Paul Walker's character. But his brothers um, gave an interview with um, AP recently and they said they would love to basically do what they did for Furious 7 again and come in and act as stand-ins for, you know, uh, another cameo for, um, you know, the character in future films. You know, of course, there's, you know, there's nothing here that says this is actually happening. You know, I, 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 I doubt it will happen, but the, you know, his, his family is putting it out there that they, they would love for this to happen again and have the character come back in some sort of, I guess, digitally recreated cameo. So putting aside the idea of whether or not this should happen, Chris, how would this, how could this actually happen? Because would they have to reuse vocals from previous Paul Walker movies to get the audio in there? Because like, I guess it just depends on what they want to do. I, I say in the piece that if this happens and, you know, this is all hypothetical, the only way I think it would make sense if it's, is if it was in like the literally very last Fast and the Furious movie. If we ever get to that point where they say, all right, we're not making any more of these movies. If they had some sort of like cameo where he's like in the background of a shot and he doesn't say anything mm -hmm. like that might work. But beyond that, yeah, I guess they would have to, you know, recycle audio. They'd have to recycle clips or, sh you know, shots they didn't use or shots from other movies. And you know, I don't mean any disrespect, but personally speaking, I thought that shot in Furious 7 where he pulls up next to Vin Diesel looked really, like, creepy because it looked very, like, uncanny valley to me. And it really didn't – it just – it was distracting. Like, I was immediately aware of, like, oh, this isn't real. And I feel like, you know, unless the technology improves, which it could, you're just going to – it's just going to seem like that, you know, if they try and do it again, where you're just going to be distracted by the fact that – you know, every, everyone knows Paul Walker is dead. So if he shows up in a movie, 
you know, years after his death, it's just going to be jarring, I think. So I don't think it would work, but that's that's me. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on this. And I actually really, really enjoyed Paul Walker's performances in the Fast and Furious uh, franchise when he was still around and giving them, because I, I feel like he was the heart and soul of that uh, of those movies. And we didn't really know uh, how important he was to keeping that franchise together until he was gone. I feel like I took him for granted. A lot of other people took him for granted. And the idea of just bringing back replacements to to try to recapture that, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to call it magic because I don't think Paul Walker was like the greatest actor of all time or anything like that. But I, I think I think he had this very specific uh, vibe that just worked really perfectly with the the uh, confines of this franchise. And, and to try to recapture that, you know, in such a... Um, I don't know, a calculated way just doesn't seem like it would end well. Uh, but I do think, Chris, that that's a really good idea about the very end. I think they were talking about maybe like the the 10th movie being the final of the, the Fast and Furious saga, or at least the ones with like the main characters that we've come to, to know. And yeah, if there's, you know, one last barbecue where everybody does a one final cheers with Corona bottles or something, and Paul Walker's character was there and they used that face replacement technology again, I think that would be a fitting use for uh, for that character one last time. But uh, let's move on to our final story of the day, and that is the latest with MoviePass. I know this is getting exhausting, probably for the listeners as much as it is for us. But HT, what is the latest with MoviePass? All right. So MoviePass's latest change is introducing a rotating lineup of six movies a day that users can choose from. But only these six movies. So beforehand, when you could watch whatever movies were available at the theaters, uh, those days are gone. Now they're only uh, the six available ones that that MoviePass lists on a web, its website, and even those are only available for a certain number of days when they rotate them out. So this was introduced today um, in an email from Mitch, Mitch Lowe, and it's part of the new subscription plan, which is the 995 plan, but with only three movies a month. So with this uh, sort of six movie daily lineup uh, introduced, the, the movies that you can see are limited even more. Uh, for example, um, in this week there is Black Klansman, The Meg, um, Mystic Education of Cameron Post, We the Animals, Skate Kitchen, Juliet Naked, and Summer of 84. But Black Klansman disappears from the lineup for the rest of the month and uh, is replaced by Mal 22. And then Crazy Rich Asians comes in for like three more times. But it's basically a rotating uh, lineup that you can't really predict. There are some major releases, but also mostly indie releases. Um, and it doesn't really tell exactly how they determine which ones will be chosen for this uh, really narrow lineup. Okay, so this is actually coming hot on the heels of MoviePass's shareholders suing them. HT, you wrote about that as well. I mean, it, and there's there are rumblings of a class action lawsuit as well. I mean, what's going on here? So the MoviePass shareholders or the shareholders in their parent company, Helios and Matheson, are... Uh, holding lawsuits or are filing lawsuits against MoviePass uh, for misleading and and fraudulent information essentially about the state of MoviePass. Uh, And this is actually only one shareholder that has currently filed a lawsuit, but they expect more to follow. And the other potential one is a class action lawsuit that is sort of being um, 
rallied by a Twitter account that is trying to uh, form a class action lawsuit with uh, with previous and current MoviePass users who are um, un- unsatisfied uh, with what's going on with MoviePass right now. All right, so Brad, I know that uh, that you've you I think you have officially canceled your MoviePass subscription, but you've still been following this pretty closely. What do you what do you think about this uh, this latest update here? Oh yeah, I had to cancel it twice because of that other bullshit they did. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I just I every day I'm just bewildered and flabbergasted at how, what MoviePass is doing. Like, I just feel like if they would have just done what they did before uh, back when I was, you know, a movie pass member for, you know, five and a half or so years before they dropped to nine ninety five a month, they would have been fine. They could have even introduced like a more expensive plan instead of biting off way more than they could chew with this new plan that they couldn't afford at all. Uh, Cause I, I was totally fine paying $35 a month for unlimited movie tickets wherever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to. Um, you know, if I saw three movies a month, it, it still paid for itself, which is basically what they're getting now. And they don't have to, they didn't have to do any of this, you know, changing of their policy every single week because they're doling out, you know, millions of dollars every, every single month. So I just, I'm frankly just happy to be done with them. Um, I, I, I hope that they get some semblance of stability and figure out what they're going to do so they don't have to keep making these changes so that we don't have to keep covering it. Um, or that maybe they'll just go away and all the movie theaters will start their own, you know, uh, subscription plans and we don't have to worry about them anymore. So we'll talk about that in just a second, but I, I just wanted to make this clear. This, uh, this new update about uh, only a certain number of movies being available and sort of this rotating lineup only applies to uh, people who, I guess it does not apply at e-ticketing locations, right, HD? Right, it's not e-ticketing. Not e-ticketing locations. Okay, yeah, I don't know if you said that before or not, but uh, but yeah, just to, to clarify for people who are you know, because a lot of a lot of people um, are not affected by this, but a, a good number are because as Brad has mentioned on previous shows, the number of theaters um, involved with this e-ticketing partnership with Movie Passes is way less than uh, the the traditional numbers. And then so leading back into what Brad was just talking about with other uh, subscription plans. Um, HT, AMC A-List also made an announcement today. What, what's the latest with them? Yeah, hot off the heels of MoviePass's new uh, feature, AMC A-List released a statement um, sort of celebrating the new users that it has accumulated, which is up to 260,000 now, um, and also promising to these new users that it won't change on you. Essentially, it reaffirmed that it has a 12-month protection guarantee plan for its subscribers, uh, which will protect its customers from any changes in pricing, benefits, and other features for 12 months. So it's kind of the opposite of what MoviePass is doing now, and it feels very much kind of in response to MoviePass's uh, sort of frantic changes that it's been going through. Yes, for sure. Okay, well, yes, I mean, as usual, we'll keep you guys abreast of all of these uh, ongoing uh, updates as they continue to roll in, because I'm sure we have not heard the last of MoviePass uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So I think that's going to wrap up today's episode. Uh, Before we go, where can people find more of your work online? Brad, let's start with you. Splashfilm.com is where I'm throwing around a bunch of different words. At Ethan Anderton, at Ethan underscore Anderton on Twitter is where you can find me cracking jokes and talking about movies. And you can also check me out on my podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, on iTunes and some other podcast places. HT? I'm also every day at Slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris? Uh, I'm at Slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at C Evangelista413. 
And you can find me at SlashFilm.com as well. I am on Twitter at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And really, if you're still listening and you're an actor, <clears throat> I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about the whole robot acting thing. So please shoot us an email and let us know what you think. Uh, please leave your name and ge uh, general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word any way you can. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.